0: Speaking of which, I want to say something very quickly before we move on to today's topic from the last two weeks. Uh, the last two weeks I spoke on the subject of the Bible and abortion. And you can find the recording on the website there. But I, I do want to say this because perhaps I didn't, maybe I didn't make it clear, didn't really deal with it very much. It's very possible in, in this an audience of this size that there's people here that have had an abortion. That wouldn't surprise me at all. And even though I think the Bible is clear that except in a case where, like an ectopic pregnancy or something, an an abortion is uh, not good, and most elective abortions that are done for convenience or so forth, I think, the Bible would be very clearly against based on the things we saw in the last couple of weeks. I don't, want, I don't want it to appear from what we said that you would not be welcome here if you've had an abortion or that this was some attempt to cast an aspersion upon you personally. People get themselves in all kinds of situations where it's difficult or maybe, maybe they've changed their mind about these. We, I do ask you, though, because I think it is a serious thing not to just simply discount the fact that, that you've had an abortion and go on as if that doesn't matter because I think it does matter and I think you need to think about repenting if you haven't already done so of that act which is very good, de- which is destructive and I know you face consequences for that in your own life, painful ones emotionally for that in your life and I want you to bring those to bear and and do what do the right thing. And if you need help with that, to talk about that or advice about that from the scriptures we would be glad to help you with those things. So don't feel like that somehow this makes you the worst person in the world and you wouldn't be accepted or loved here. That isn't true. On the other hand, do not take do not take having an abortion lightly. I don't think I think it's something you ought to be very concerned about and serious about in your life. And people like I say, we make these kind of decisions and... Uh, uh, often and people do, and what I'm concerned about, people have done so without as much careful thought, or for selfish reasons. So, may you think about that. But I want you to be aware. I wasn't trying to be just to cast aspersion and not offer any kind of help and assistance. We've already tried on different occasions to to help people with this very this very moral issue that we have to go through, uh, have to deal with. All right. <clears throat> this morning, I we're going to do a. Since we had a couple of fairly serious lessons uh, about that kind of topic the last couple of weeks, I thought I'd do something a little bit different this morning. Another important topic, but one that you may have been, what in the world, is you going to talk about a good eye, you know. I know that you use that term in baseball, good eye, good eye in your little league, you know. If somebody uh, doesn't swing at a pitch, they should. But that's not what I'm talking about this morning. The Bible talks about having a good eye. and Christians should have a good eye. What does it mean? A- a- but let's just go to the text. Most of you came here this morning, rightfully so. If you came to hear what's being said, you want to hear what the Bible says. and You want to hear the Word of God. And so let's go read what the Bible says. And, and then we'll try to figure out, as we can, what the meaning of this is in a plain and straightforward way. And I think that's what you're interested in if you're here. Here's what Jesus says. And this is in the, found in the context of what's called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthews 5 through 7 where Jesus gives this long address the longest of, his, of what's recorded that we have early in his ministry. And in the context of two or three other things he's saying he says this in verse 22 of Matthew 6 The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good and some versions there will say single your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad your whole body will be full of darkness. Now, the word bad there probably correspondingly means double or doubled. We can think kind of a double vision here, but that isn't exactly what's being meant, but something like double vision. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if, therefore, the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So if the light that's coming in your body really is darkness because it's distorted, not accurate, not true, Everything about you is going to be affected and distorted. Now, what in the world is he talking about? We have a similar reading, a parallel passage in Luke 11. It adds a little bit more to this, and then we'll talk about what this actually means and how it might apply to us today as Christians. Jesus says here, "...the lamp of the body," in Luke 11, "...is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good or single, your whole body is also full of light. When your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness." Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in you is not darkness. Everybody has knowledge and enlightenment of some kind, information coming into their body. I don't think he's just talking about physical eyes, he's talking about the heart. Everybody's got information coming in, but some of that information is darkness. Some of what you're actually seeing or experiencing is darkness, not really light. And if your whole body is full of light, Having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light, as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. What does this mean? Well, this is an interesting word here, this word single. It's not used very often in the New Testament. Uh, it's used in a couple of different forms, haplous, you see, or haplotase, you know, and, and we don't care about the Greek pronunciation particularly. I know most of you don't, except that this is a unique word, and some, sometimes the word simplicity or simple. singleness is another word that's very similar to this. But what it means is something that's simple. It's single. It's whole. It's of one piece. It fits together, as it were. Or it means singleness, sincerity, without dissimulation or self-seeking or generosity. In fact, you'd be well advised in English here, in contrast to this word good or single, Think of someone who is duplicitous. Someone who, well, what's that expression? Speaks with forked tongue. Everything is two. What you see is not what you get. What they're saying is not exactly what they mean. Don't you just love dealing with people? And I had before who will tell you, uh, one older man told me one time when I was trying to figure out what was going on in the church, well, you just can't really... You can't really trust people to tell you what they really mean. And I said, you can't? Maybe I need to spend some more time speaking on honesty then. He, I didn't get it that he was the problem. What I was missing is he was the one that I couldn't count on to tell me what he really thought. Can people count on you to tell you tell them what you really think about something, what you actually think? Or do they have to guess, I wonder what Mike really means by what he's saying. If you're sitting there today and listen to my servants or me talk and you're wondering, what does he really mean? Something is wrong with one of us. Something is either wrong with me and the way I'm talking and my character so that you doubt that what I say is what I mean. Or something's wrong with your ears and the light that's in you because you think everything has got a double meaning and dark. And I wonder if that's because you do, the same, do that. You know, a lot of people project their faults on other people. So often what they find fault in you with is exactly the problem that they have. Because that's what they expect. To a liar, everybody's a liar. You see, and this is what he's saying here about this. And so it means a mental, it means generosity sometimes. Not giving just so people will not think poorly of you. But being truly generous. Truly open. When you give a gift, when you make a donation, when you do something good, it's because you want to do good. Not so that somebody will see you, like the Pharisees, who only gave and gave loudly so that they could be seen of men, Jesus says. It's related to that idea. Now, I told you before, in the temple they had these kind of like horns there, a big like a tuba, inverted tuba in the temple, and people would come by and put their money in that. Have you seen these things in the stores where kids, would, you put a dime in it, it goes down. Take takes about five minutes to roll down. And kids like to throw coins in there because it makes all this noise. Well, that's what the Pharisees were doing. They would, they would uh, rather than putting one coin in, they would take a whole lot of different small coins and put them all in at one time. And then people would hear all this commotion. Oh, look, he's giving so much. He's so generous. They were doing it to be seen of men. That's a duplicitous person, a double person, not a single person. Not a good person, as it were. So it's mental honesty in this case. The virtue of one who is free from pretense. Now this is coming out of a Greek dictionary. One who is free from pretense and hypocrisy. Not self-seeking. Openness of heart that manifests itself by generosity is one way. And then you have an expansion. The haplous is literally spread out without folds. So let's see if I can do this here. So I write something on here. I got, I got a, a secret letter on my hand here. And, and so I say, what's, what's the letter? Can you read my hand? Can you see with this? Well, no, it's folded. My hand is folded. You can't see it. If I open my hand and make it one, you can read the letter. You see? Well, if you have good eyes. Sit close. <laughs> you know, I thought I was going to plan that all out, have some nice message here, but it, it didn't, didn't work. But anyway, uh, the point is, here's the double-minded man. Here's the double man here's the single person. What you see is what you get. It's clear. Their, their, their motives, their desires, the things they don't like, what is open to you. Other people are much more covered up, aren't they? Much more duplicitous. Much more hidden. And so it means literally without folds. And hence it means single, simple, without complexity of character or motive. There's no complex motive here. That's why people love these soap operas because nobody actually says what they really mean. Everybody's motives are always in doubt, what they're really doing, and we get all caught up in that. This can distort your entire thinking. That's why it's, they're destructive to get too involved in that kind of stuff because it destroys any concept of honesty. And, and it's true. You can be led astray like a sheep to the slaughter by being naive in a way. And the Bible warns about naivety, but on the other hand... It also talks about simplicity. Just as a small connection, didn't what did Jesus say about me taking an oath? He said, let your what? Let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. There's another example of simplicity. To the Christian, uh, they're going to tell you yes or no. They're not going to tell you yes and mean no. They're not going to tell you yes and hope that you don't figure it all out before it's too late. They're going to tell you yes or no. And that's what you need to know. So in the New Testament, this idea of simplicity is always favorable. In classical Greek, which is used broadly behind the New Testament, the word also occasionally is used in unfavorable sense, denoting foolish simplicity or what we would call naivety. And the world's going to tell you, you need to be you don't need to be honest and open about what you do. You need to hide it from people. Show them what you want them to see. And you'll read all kinds of advice like this in various forms. Show people what you want them to see. But I want to point out to you Christians, you who care about what God says, that you need to have the faith, as we talked about in Bible class this morning, to do what God says, regardless of what the world tells you about it, regardless of how the intellectual class may tell you, and the psychological chattering class may tell you, to, to be practicing in your character, in your life, what God says to do. And trust that that's the right way to do it, even if it comes harm to you, even if it should, at times it backfires on you being honest. And I've had occasions where uh, i you know, that I was criticized before for being plain-spoken, straightforward. Okay. Go ahead and criticize me for that. I took it as a compliment, actually. They meant it as a criticism that I wasn't sophisticated enough to kind of hide my motives for doing something or tell people, show people one thing and really have in mind to kind of get them to do this over here while showing them this. This is not the way a preacher should be, is it? It's not the way a Christian should be in any part of their life. Now, not everything that you do or think is everybody else's business. You have a right to keep your things to yourself. But we need to operate without complexity. And you see this, for example, in Acts chapter 2. In a verse that you might not connect to this, but here's the picture of the first Christians after Pentecost. It says about these first Christians who had come to believe in Christ as the Savior that day. And day by day, Acts 2.46, day by day, continuing steadfast with one accord in the temple and breaking bread at home, they took their food with gladness and singleness of heart. That's the, that's the American standard and uh, maybe the King James 2 there. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to them day, day by day those who were being saved. So here's this phrase, singleness of heart. And that's odd to people, but it means they were open with each other. And what you saw in those people was what you... i told you From many times I've told this church this. I've been here, I don't know, how many years is 1996, January? I don't know how many years. That's 20-something years I've been with this church here. One of the things that I've stayed for, one of the things I like, and I think it's still true from the beginning is this church was what you, WYSIWYG, you know from that computer term WYSIWYG, what you see is what you get some people here are ornery and we know it and we love them and they're always ornery and we appreciate that, others are naive and you know you can easily fool them and we love them for that too but what you see is what you get people aren't playing a game, it's not a game, it isn't hide and seek and a shell game as to who's what, and so you don't have to guess. And if there's something that's not pleasant or don't like, you can you can deal with it. You can confront it. You can make progress with that because it's simpleness, singleness of heart. I think this is the characteristic that is very missing in the world, but I think it's the characteristic of Christians that many people in the world are seeking. One of the key words, if you read any kind of leadership blogs and these denominational evangelism blogs and i do some of that what you find is that these experts are trying to counsel these mega church preachers that got to have exactly the right kind of skinny jeans the right shirt you know they got to have their hair styled a certain way that's how they preach they keep trying to talk about authenticity that what people are seeking is authenticity all the while while they're wearing their skinny jeans and they're You know, lacquered up hair just so they'll attract a certain audience authenticity I think some of them are missing the point I, I don't look I'm an old white guy that's all I can be I'm not anything else and that's okay you may be some other kind of person why should I pretend to be a young guy why should I pretend to be this or that or make you think somehow that he's this I know I'm cool You know, (laughs) ultra cool. If I was, you know why I would be cool? I'll tell you why I would be cool. Because I'm just me. If I am. Isn't that who you think is cool? Isn't that who you think is authentic? Someone that you think is really on the outside what they are on the inside. It matches up. And you can see this even when it doesn't work sometimes and causes them problems. This is authenticity. This should be a hallmark of Christians this authenticity of character of your yea being yay and your nay being nay and you, you see that was true here in the book of Acts that's why they were able to get along with each other and the very beginning of the church you see this unity you see this love for each other and later it's it's broken by Ananias and Sapphira those hippies who try to pretend to be good without really being good what did I say hippies I'm thinking hippies hypocrites <laughs> Same thing, I'm an old hippie too. Same thing, you know, phonies. Some of them are. Uh, Did I say hippies? I did say that, didn't I? Okay, I meant hypocrites. Boy, that's a terrible slip of the tongue, isn't it? All right, anyway. (laughs) Uh, Those phonies, Annites and Sapphira in Acts 5, who wanted to pretend to be that they were as good as Barnabas when they weren't at all as good as Barnabas. And it ruined the atmosphere of the early church. Notice what he also says here to Christians later in the book of Ephesians. There's several of these passages, by the way. There's two or three parallel passages here, but he says, Servants, be obedient to them that are according to the flesh, are your masters, those who are above you. We would call these employers or other people, and they could be our masters if we live in a place where there is a servitude. You obey them with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not in the way of eye service as men-pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. If any of you work in an office or you have to run a crew of men to do stuff, people to do stuff, you are probably well aware of men-pleasers around you. That is, the people that only work if the boss is standing right over them or that somehow they think they're being surveyed on a camera, and then they'll hide that as much as they can. They only will do their job Only obey if the boss is watching them. That's eye service. They're a men pleaser. They only say the certain things to the boss. Not everybody else around them, they they say all this other kind of stuff about the company and the boss. But to the boss, they say all this praiseworthy stuff. There's other names for this kind of person. But the Bible calls them a men pleaser or those working with eye service. You Christians, he says, cannot be that person. I don't care if you're a free or a slave. I don't care what it is. You cannot be that person. You must live in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. The same knowing that Christ knows who you are and sees you for what you are and loves you. You can act the way you are. You need to be this way with other people in singleness of heart. So here it is again. This is a major thing that affects our society. Does not this affect even the prices we pay for stuff? It affects everything about our society that people are duplicitous in their behavior. And they think it's a badge of honor to be that way. You know, Call you names because you are open with the, what you like. And then he says in Matthew, look, just, just go back. A ver- I had some other verses here, we'll skip them. Go back to the verse about before this verse about having a good eye and having a single heart, Jesus says. Just bef- be- we start reading in verse twenty-two, take if you got your Bible open or look up here. The verses above that. Notice what it says here. Jesus says, "Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven." where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now then he goes right into the verse about having a good and single heart when he tells them, be careful about where you find your treasure, what you value, what is important to you. Make sure that you're as, you are investing in heavenly things and eternal things and not just things on the earth that can be destroyed. And stop depending on riches. I didn't even put in here in this passage, in this presentation, the passages on the deceitfulness of riches, where people are deceived in their heart about the value of money and physical things and prestige in the world. And he goes on, and now hold on to that idea that just before he talked about having a good eye and ha- having a pure, clean, sincere heart, a oneness, a one heart, as it were. Notice the verse after this passage. In verse 24, he says no man can serve two masters. Here's the idea of how many? Two. Instead of being one, now we got somebody serving two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, which means love less, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That doesn't mean people don't try to serve God and literally stuff the word mammon here just means stuff, things. They try it all the time, and so their heart is divided in Christianity. And as a Christian, they have two hearts: one that says I want to do good things and serve the Lord; the other says. I need to make sure I got all my financial affairs in order. And so they begin to behave one way this direction and they behave another way this direction. This doesn't mean that it's wrong to accumulate wealth as a Christian. What we have all through the Bible, even in our Bible class, Abraham was a very rich man. Job was a rich man. Others in the Bible are rich men. It's not the amount of money that you have. It's a divided heart about that money. And the fact that the behavior becomes different depending on one thing or another had a fellow to, I, I knew right away when I was a young man I was going to try to you know do the right things financially blah 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 because I was smarter than everybody else I, I could figure this all out and so I had a guy guy came over we were talking. I forgot the guy's name now. remember that fellow came to the kitchen table there and we were talking about and this is back when Jimmy Carter was president, so things weren't going so good there, and the market was down all kinds of other stuff I know that's way before most of people were even of over born, but anyway, yeah, been alive a long time. And so uh, we got to talk, and he makes a statement to me that kind of like stopped me in my tracks, because I was asking about stock market this, investments here, and blah blah blah, and I didn't have any money. He said, "Well, I'll tell you what, he says. I know how to make money when things are good, and I know how to make just as much money when things are bad. I know how to make money when everybody else is losing money. I know how to make money when everybody else is making money." He says it's just a matter of what you're willing to do. Okay, got it. I knew right then I was never going to have any money because <laughs> I'm not willing to do some things for money. And I knew I wasn't going to be shrewd enough, had to think a certain way to make sure that I did just the opposite, and you know, just I don't know. It was all slimy to me. Maybe it's not, and it probably isn't all slimy, but a lot of it was slimy because it was thinking two ways. And then there's the rich dad, poor dad. So, you know, I I knew I was side out of that. I was on. But, you know, the Bible talks about the idea of being divided in the way that we live. And unfortunately, as much as I love my country, I think a lot of Americans, because we are so affluent, and we have so much. We like to think we don't have anything, but we just don't really have any idea. Some of us come from backgrounds where our, either our own relatives and parents and or maybe the country you were born in, you understand how much we have in America. And we count on it. It's going to be there, what we think. But we easy to get two minds about this. Let's see what James says about it here in James 1. Did I go too far? Yeah, can't serve you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve the two gods. Got to pick one. Which god are you going to serve? God or stuff? People today make their god things. And they value everything. Everything in their system, everything in their mind is always evaluating how is this going to make my portfolio look? How is this going to make my wealth? What's going to happen? And I'm talking about people, not just rich people, people in the poorest neighborhoods. This is their calculation about everything that they say and do. How is this going to affect my bottom line? How is it going to affect how much money I'm making? That's why they're willing to do almost anything because they make a calculation based on how much it's going to make them. You can't serve two gods. James says, if any of you lack wit, let's, let's go back a little step and let's make a little running start again. If any of you lack wisdom, James says in James 1, let it ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Ask for wisdom, and God will give it to you. Ask for wisdom every day. That would be a good plan. But let him ask in faith, believing that God will do what he says, without doubt, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Oh, we all have our doubts and we wonder if things are going to happen. Now he's talking about a real doubt here, not really believing, uh, you know, God's there. You've heard the old joke, the guy falls off the cliff. About half of that he catches a branch, he's holding on by his arm by the branch, you know. He's looking down, looking up, and oh my goodness, what am I going to do? God, if you're there, please help me. He's screaming to God, help him. So a voice from heaven says, let go of the branch. Let go of the branch. Looks right, says,
1: Is there anybody else that can help
0: me? Okay. Double-minded man. Says he believes, calls out to God for help, but he really doesn't. He's doubts. He doesn't really believe. That's a true story, by the way. <clears throat> I'm sure it's pretty true, anyway. No. Nope. He's tossed by the wind. For not that man. Now, I want to go back here a second. We are fixing. To go into some extremely difficult economic times. I'm sorry to tell you this. Maybe I'm wrong. But I've been around a while. Unless God spares us. Things are going to get very bad. For most people. And of course you know who's going to hurt the worst? The women and the children. And the poor people. Are going to hurt the worst. That's how it always is with everything. And so you're going to see. A lot of people driven like a wave of the sea and tossed by the wind. Their life and their morality and their choices are going to be all over the place because they're pushed around by the winds of, of poverty or fear, uncertainty, and you'll start seeing it. This is how God disrupts societies. He disrupts them all. This is kind of a judgment in a way. It disrupts everything around it. So get ready to see this being tossed by the wind in person if you haven't seen it before. It's a little worse than Starbucks can't get your name right on your cup kind of turmoil and stress that you have. Let not that man who doubts God suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. There's our idea again, isn't it? A double-minded man. He's got two ways in him, two ways of thinking ingrained in him, and he can't be single about it. He can't just trust the Lord. He's got two ways he's trying to live, two ways of the world, the ways following the wisdom of the world and doing what the world says or doing what God says, having faith that God's way is right to do for himself and his family or herself. And so she's torn. They're torn. They ask God for wisdom or ask God to help them, and God can't really help them because they're double-minded. They have two things. I've used this illustration for many, many years. Some of you are old enough to remember those old cartoons. Of, what is it? That little penguin named Willie or whatever his name was up there in the North Pole. Is that? Huh? Chilly Willie. Willie. There you go. Somebody is old here. Chilly Willy. <laughs> or a teacher. A teacher. And old Chilly Willy's always out on the ice, you know. And he hears this cracking sound. And this big crack comes right. Where does it go? Right between his legs. For the crack goes, and old Chilly Willie's trying to balance on these two pieces of ice. How well's that work? He's unstable in all of his ways because he don't know which way to go. Does he risk going all this way on this piece, or does he try to get onto this piece and go all that way? He's torn. Most people's faith is, many people's faith is weak enough that they can't decide, and they really are torn. You're going to see hundreds of thousands of Christians, supposed Christians, swept away in this kind of thing, into, into unbelief and into fear because they don't actually trust the Lord single-heartedly and to put their faith in him single-heartedly with one purpose in mind. They're double-minded men. And so we have to think about that. They're unstable in all their ways. And that's why people feel, feel so much stress. That's why they feel so much uncertainty. That's why they feel so much fear. Because they're trying to live in two worlds. A world that takes all the wisdom of the world and all the ways all the experts say to live or the way that God says to live and what God says to think about things. And they don't know what to do about it. They're torn. Pick one. Choose you this day who you will serve. There it is. A good eye is to live with sincerity, devotion, generosity. The opposite, a bad or evil eye, is a biblical way of talking about being greedy and not sincere. See, the greedy person, and that's why Jesus links it, you can't serve God and mammon, he links it together with that because it's a way of living that puts themselves first. People with a good eye see where there's a need, they just see people around them. You know, the Bible, um, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. I don't think I even have it up here. The Bible says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. But it says that we're to stimulate each other to love and good works, as you see the day approaching. I'm paraphrasing. But when people come to a center like this, some people come so they can make business contacts. That's why, the, that's why churches get filled up around town, because that's the church known where you can make good business contacts, where you can network with people in your profession, or maybe you can get a job, and so they want to go there. Maybe, and this is not wrong, maybe they're even looking for a husband or a wife and the reason they're there, they're not there to hear the word of the Lord, they're just kind of scouting everybody out, you know. Nothing wrong with that per se, although I didn't meet my wife in church, I'm not above that. But is that why you're there? Just you got some ulterior motive? That's what some churches are like. And so it becomes a thing even, of, even in the assembly. They can't go in there and say and talk to people and say, who needs encouragement? Who needs this? Maybe somebody needs some money. They don't go in there seeing who needs what and how they can help and be generous with people, open and liberal with people. They go in with their own ulterior motives. Their mind is only focused on what they're trying to get out of it. They listen to a sermon like this. They're not hearing what I'm saying. They're hearing what they want to hear from me. And they pick apart, pick some little thing I say to agree or disagree with, not what I may have meant or said. They pick out something that suits their agenda. How many people are like that? You talk to them, they have their own agenda. You can see when you're talking to them, they're not really listening to you. They got their own mind on what they want to know, and that's what they hear. This is not a single minded person. In fact, this is that greedy person. People with good eyes see where there's a need, they want to bless others, help them with their difficulties. Times they give from their wallet their time themselves they consider others how they encourage them some people are stunned by generosity I, I've met baptized people here in recent years and you know what they tell me is strength, two things they tell me that surprised me in a way what they'll say offhandly is when I became a Christian in, in, in your church there I, I just I was stunned they will say that people actually cared about me that I had actually friends then. I've been in other churches, they'll say. But these people actually cared about me. Or I needed something, and I was overwhelmed by the generosity. They they didn't know what to do with the generosity. They were suspicious of the generosity. People giving them things. They were suspicious of the generosity because they never experienced that even in other churches. That's a shame, isn't it? Because I thought that's what it was supposed to be. A family that loved you and would take care of you. Brothers and sisters a hundredfold. But that's not the way it is, even in Christian churches, as it were, because people have double eyes, double hearts. Those with bad and evil eyes are always considering what things they can get. Their eyes are on what they can take from other people and how they can use people. This eyesight affects their whole life, and their attitude is more serious than you think, because the eye is the lamp of the body. They look at everything in that jaundiced way about how it's going to come back to them. You know, they, they have the morality of an Instagram model. Is that a bad analogy to use? They have that kind of morality is only about how things make me look to other people and what I can get out of it for myself. This is the Instagram model way. I'm not picking on them because that's a small subset of people that have that same mentality. You know, uh, that's how it goes. Proverbs says, there is one who scatters, yet increases more. There's one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. Question for you, do you believe that? Doesn't sound right, does it? Doesn't sound right. It's more blessed to give than to receive. That's what Jesus said. Does that sound right? Doesn't sound right. Sounds like it won't work. Bad idea. Don't you know? Uh, you have to go far and wide to find some financial advisor is going to tell you it's more blessed to give than to receive. Unless you want to give to him. But the Bible says the one who scatters, who who does good wherever he goes, and is generous, not with money, but everything else about him. That person will increase yet more now I know some of you are hearing of that and thinking how can I make this work to my benefit they're even going to take God's law here God's statement about how he works how can I make that work oh so I'm going to become a Christian because if I start acting like I'm generous I'm going to get more stuff isn't this the prosperity gospel that's being preached around the country that if you just give more God's bound and determined to give you more and so they say you just have to make a pledge to give X number of dollars a month and pledge it and give it and then you'll get more. And these preachers drive around in their, in their Mercedes, you see, Amen. to prove it. We've got to hurry along here. Romans 15 says, "When We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. Each of us is to have a single open heart to those around us and try to please our neighbor for our neighbor's good, which is the definition of love, doing good for the other person for their benefit, whether it benefits you or not. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And then in Philippians 2, you have this more familiar reading perhaps to some. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition, Or conceit. I think that word selfish ambition in some versions is electioneering. Electioneering, it says in the Greek lexicon, if I can paraphrase it, is basically trying to get your own way and not disdaining from the low arts to get there. You're willing to do pretty much whatever it takes to get what you think will benefit you. That's electioneering. We see it all. What do politicians say? For the most part, what they think that you want to hear. Not a double, not a single-minded person. Are politicians known to be single-minded or double-minded? They say one thing to this group, the opposite thing to that group. This year they say this, next year they say that. Because they're trying to get what they want. But he says, in a lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. This is that single, generous heart. Thank you for listening today. i I, I got more to say, but our time is gone. And I do appreciate you uh, listening so well this morning. I hope that you'll try to figure out in your life ways that you can bring about this attitude. It takes trust to live a single-hearted life before God. Because the world doesn't always show you the benefit of this. It takes trust in God that this is the right way to live. It's the good thing to do in spite of what you see around you. We're going to sing now as we close our service the song that Joel has selected, number uh, 23, All Things Are Ready. And in so doing, we offer you this opportunity today to come and become a Christian by being baptized into the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Take upon you that desire to be a Christian and follow him. Be washed clean of everything you've ever done before that's against the will of God and start over anew and live a new life. That's what baptism promises you. And we offer that to you this morning. We can help. You have to have a willing heart. You have to have belief in Christ and a faith in him. And when you do that, then you can be baptized. Mm-hmm. Or to this morning, if you've lived the wrong kind of life, you've been on the wrong path, you'd like us to pray with you about that. Pray to God that God might forgive you. We'd be glad to do that. All you got to do is come down to the front here. We'll talk with you. We'll pray about that. Let your brothers and sisters pray with you. And we can do that this morning. Can we help you? Come to the front right now. Let's stand and sing.